Greetings, everyone, wherever you are in the world. Thank you for joining us on SG Live. And uh, it's a real pleasure to be with you here on a warm, warmish Tuesday uh, afternoon. Um, got a lot of things to talk about today, and I'm going to dive straight into a few things. But before I do that, I'm really pleased to have uh, Terry Mathis with us on the show. And Terry and I have teamed up to start doing these let's learn segments for sg life terry a very warm welcome to you can you hear me okay yes absolutely hi sunny hi. And he hello to everybody else out there too good uh, good morning to those of you in the us and good afternoon to those of you in the uk and uh, whatever it is to the rest of you in the rest of the world out there good to have you with us um terry there's one thing i must do before we before we actually um dive into stuff i've got a very small uh, video clip i want to play and if you'll just bear with me for a second Just, well, when thought, <laughs> just when I thought I was past all that, you didn't read my <laughs> Facebook uh, post this morning. I said to all of you who absolutely stubbornly refuse to forget my birthday, you know, th <laughs> thanks, thanks for all the wishes. Actually, this wasn't a birthday. This was the anniversary, one of the anniversaries of my 39th birthday. Oh, right. Okay. If you can guess, it was probably one of the higher numbers, you know. As, as you, <laughs> As you get older, you know, you don't necessarily feel older, but the numbers get scarier, you know, as, as you go. So, yeah, um, kind of in the scary number category now. <laughs> well, um, I know it was your birthday last week and I saw the email. And, you know, apologies, we couldn't do the show earlier, uh, sort of last week and wish you those uh, happy birthday wishes. But many happy returns and look forward to uh, well, doing many more of those uh, musical things for you as we go forward. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll get even with you for that too. Yeah. <laughs> so um, one thing I will say is this is a live show, and if you're watching this and um, you, you're, you're chatting away and we can't see your chats, apologies for that. It, it is there is a slight time delay as it goes on live, but if you do want to get in touch with either of us, send an email. You can see the ticker at the bottom, live at redrisks.com, and Terry and I will certainly pick those emails up and uh, respond back to you. Um, well, certainly as we as we get the emails in. Thank you for um, being patient with us on uh, the uh, chat side of things. Um, now, one of the things that I must say is that. Um, we need to talk about this Let's Learn segment, um, Terry, and explain to folks how it came about, what it's about, and what the intentions are. So I'll tell you what, let, let me sort of pass the mic to you. Give me a bit of a breather as well. Give me your sort of uh, views on how we came to this point and what we're intending to do. Yeah, well, a, a part of safety, an important part of safety is competence, <laughs> competencies. And it's amazing to me that most of the client companies that I deal with in my consultancy don't have a metric for that. Uh, th there are a few companies that have what they call certifications. <sighs> Uh-oh, got to keep my computer from pinging here. Uh, 
they have some certification. So like if you want to be a welder for their company, you have to get with a certified welder and get them to certify you that you know what you're doing as a welder. You know, ironically, a lot of times if they don't have a certified welder, the site manager can do that who may have never welded anything in their life, you know, but they can certify you. But there, there's not a competency there. And I think uh, you folks that are listening, hopefully are mainly safety professionals at one level or another in the organization. Uh, competency is one of the things you you have to be working on, and you know it's not just a lot of times we say, well, I've got to I've got to create competency in my workers. No, you have to create competency in yourselves. And leadership is not a terribly uh, well taught uh, skill out there in the world. So that's something that Sunny and I are hoping to provide is some insight because we've we've both both of us have seen literally hundreds, if not maybe <laughs> over a thousand effective leaders and ineffective leaders in mm -hmm. safety. And we've seen the, the results of what they do and what they don't do out there. And hopefully, you know, the, it's not that we're that much smarter than any of you out there. We've just had more ex, uh, exposure to all of these things. And we can't make you smarter, but we can shorten your learning curve. Yeah. You know, we can we can get you there more quickly, I think, by sharing some of these ideas than you could get there just figuring it out on your own, which yeah. is what most leaders do. Yeah, very well, very well put, Terry. I mean, uh, for, for me, it's very simple, and that is um, there's a lot to learn. I, I never stop learning, and one of the things I'd like to do is share some of the learning. So with Terry's input and my input, I'd like to think that we've got about 60-plus years of experience. We, we don't know the answers to everything, but certainly between us, we'll discuss and, and debate. We, we may not always agree, but then we may disagree, but it's all done in the interest of we're sharing, uh, we're sharing our knowledge. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. And as the show grows, we are still very, very young as a show. As the show grows, um, we look forward to your guidance and your thoughts and suggestions on future, future topics as well. So the topic we picked this week, Terry, is all about hierarchy of controls. I did a video a while back, and it was a worked example on hierarchy of controls. And it was, it was quite interesting. It got, it got a lot of um, people interested and got a, quite a lot of viewings on it. So I thought it would be a good one for us to kick off with. Now, when you and I spoke, you had some firm thoughts and views on hierarchy of control. So let's let's start again from your side, and then we'll ping it backwards and forwards and uh, get some thoughts on this. So, Terry, what's your views on hierarchy of controls? Well, I think uh, the big picture is that uh, uh, if you wanted to simplify the hierarchy of controls, instead of breaking it down into each one of these levels, you can break it down into two levels. There's two elements to safety. There's two elements to every accident. There's the conditions and the behaviors. And if you look at the hierarchy of controls, it basically goes from conditions to behaviors to uh, to. We don't know what the hell to do, so let's put PPE on people, you know, which is kind of the, the last step down there. So this is one of the ways to think about this. You know, are you what are you controlling? Are you controlling your work environment or are you controlling the people within your work environment? And mm -hmm. this is a, this is basically an assumption that NIOSH made back uh, whenever it was that they first came up with this. I, I could I tried to look that up and couldn't find the exact date, but they are the originators of this. Uh, NIOSH is the one that did originally. This, there was a workshop called uh, Safety Through Design, I think, and there's still a book right, called yeah. Safety Through Design, mm -hmm. and that's that's where this all this thinking all originated. Now again, this is a, a when you when you talk about a hierarchy, this is a, a method of prioritization. 
So they're saying, if you're going to try, you know, to control a risk, what is the most elegant way to control the risk? If that doesn't work, what's next? What's next? What's next? And it, it goes down this particular line. And I've had a lot of people say, um, well, why don't we just use the top one for everything if that's the most elegant control. Uh, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, one of my friends who said, well, why don't they make the whole airplane out of, out of what they make that black boxes out of, you know? So <laughs> if, the, if the airplane crashes, it doesn't get destroyed, just like the black box <laughs> doesn't get destroyed. Well, it, that, I mean, it sounds like a wonderful idea. It just doesn't work. Yeah, And yeah. a lot of times, too, you know, to try to eliminate a risk. I, I always remember I've done a lot of work in the nuclear power industry, and they have this sick joke. And I mean, it's universal. Every power plant I've ever gone to, someone's told me this. But they say, you know, Terry, if we could eliminate radiation, steam, and high voltage, this would be a really safe place to work. Yeah, yeah. I think well, about that. If you eliminate those three things, you don't have a nuclear power plant anymore. Well, that's right, yeah. I mean, uh, taking one step back, um, I Everyone out there, is, I suspect, is very familiar with the hierarchy of, hierarchy of control. I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, just just to be absolutely clear, we have this sort of inverted triangle, the NIOSH that you were referring to, is an inverted triangle, and at the top, of course, is elimination. Then it goes goes through to substitution. Then it goes all the way down through to administrative controls and PP. I forgot what the middle one is now. So, um, uh, but it's elimination engineering controls, engineering and, uh, controls. Right. Uh, then administrative controls and PP. Now, when I did this, um, I did a webinar a while back, and uh, there was someone from the nuclear industry, and they and they said, "Well, look, Sonny, you know, you've missed something out. You missed one out at the bottom called documentation." And I thought, "Well, yeah, I can understand that, but being a risk and safety professionals, I think the less choice you have, the better, and the higher up you go in terms of the inverted triangle towards elimination and substitution and so on, I would be more comfortable." My experience with hierarchy of controls is along the same lines as yours, Terry, actually, and uh, being sort of a process safety person in the background. We tended to use it a lot in terms of when we do HAZOPs or quantitative risk assessments right. and so on. But I guess my, my experience on hierarchy of controls, and I'll, I'll probably get toasted for this, actually, but I'm going to say it, is it, it's okay to pick a control it's okay to pick elimination or whatever but the fundamental point for me is all about risk and risk management we know risk is the product of two key factors consequences and likelihood so if for example you're saying putting a control measure in from your hierarchy of controls you want to make sure that you're doing something in terms of not only reducing you know, potential likelihood, but also in terms of managing those consequences. But where we tend to fail is we never really test certain controls. You know, We pick a control and we say, bingo, bango, it does it, right? Risk is acceptable, whatever you want to call it, a LARP, tolerable, et cetera, and we move on. But we don't actually ask the question afterwards, is that control measure really effective? And I find the weakness is generally further down, you know, in, in terms of things like administrative controls, uh, PP, wherever people are involved, they tend to be a bit sort of thin, I would say, in terms of. Is that your experience as well, Terry? Yes. Uh, and and uh, I, I think, too, selecting one is probably a bad idea always. Mm. You know, real control over risk is usually multiple controls, not not one single control out there anywhere. In fact, uh, you know, uh, people like Todd Conklin and some of the uh, HOP folks out there are saying, once, once you get down to the people part of this, the administrative controls, 
plan for failure. People yeah. are not perfect. They're going to make mistakes, you know? So what's your backup plan? How do you, you know, yes, you want to prevent, but how do you recover? <laughs> so I, I, I always use the example, you know, when they first started, um, people started doing trape trapeze acts in the circus, the first few who fell died. <laughs> you know, and then they said, let's put a net under them. <laughs> you know, and, and that, way, that way when they fall, they got some kind of chance of, of succeed. So they're planning for failure, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, yeah wouldn't, it be prevent, wouldn't it be nice if you could prevent them from ever losing the grip on that trapeze bar? Absolutely, but, yeah. You know, it's going to happen from time to time. So what's plan B? And I think the hierarchy needs to think about that, too. You know, so you say, well, we eliminated this risk. By, by the way, did you ever read Murphy's Law? Uh, uh, you know, the Murphy was this research engineer and, and basically said everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Go if, wrong. You, yeah. if, if you think that way, you know, maybe you'll prevent some things from going wrong. But his very yeah. last one, and one of, I don't think it was in the book, I think it was actually in one of his articles. He said, you can't make anything idiot proof. No. And, and you know why he said that was true? Because idiots are too smart and they'll figure out a way around it. <laughs> you know? So, I, I, you know, the, once you get down to the people part of safety, this is where a lot of uh, safety folks, especially technically trained ones, engineers, uh, process people, and everything else, get incredibly frustrated mm -hmm. because people are a tougher variable to control than machines and, it, it, and equipment. Yeah, it reminds me, one of my favorite, um, well, one of my mentors, my my sort of folks who really helped me a lot in the past is Trevor Kletz, and he wrote these books uh, things that can go wrong, things that continues to go wrong, et cetera. And I, and I always remember a, a few things that he always says, and that is when it comes down to human error, uh, it, you know, there's, there's, there's no way you can sort of out-design all of these things. And that's, that's literally, when you think about hierarchy of controls and you come down to the bottom pieces of PPE, classic case being COVID-19, ooh, I don't want to talk about COVID, ooh, and the masks and everything else, right? But Trevor Kletz always, um, I mean, the one line that I remember from his, from his uh, sort of um, several things he says was, uh, he's saying, well, why did, you, why did you fall down the stairs? You know, what was it? And they said, well, it's gravity, right? So mm -hmm. it, it exactly. And then, and then uh, you, you try and say, well, can we stop that? Can we stop this? It gets very, very difficult when you try and address human error and behaviors and all the other things. Um, and I, and I, said I mentioned it I'm sorry I mentioned the COVID thing as a classic example you know if we're to pick people from the general public and we're going to put them in an industrial sort of environment I thought to myself well hang on a minute we're going to pick these people and we're going to ask them as soon as they come in to start wearing safety hats and glasses and and overalls and everything else and lo and behold after a short period of time they do 99% of the time follow the rules okay but why is it when you're not in that sort of um, enclave or in that sort of fixed boundary of a company, we find it difficult to wear these masks, right? And everyone's got an opinion. Some people will wear it. Some people won't wear it. And we end up being debating about the um, uh, issues, not realizing the consequences are still the same, right? I mean, it all boils down to likelihood. Are you going to be in the uh, vicinity of someone breathing on you or coughing on you? Sorry, I, t I rambled on a bit there, Terry. But, you know, you know, it's it's quite a controversial subject. Uh, this. Uh... When I looked up hierarchy of controls, uh, just, you know, to kind of refresh my, my uh, thinking on it and everything, it was amazing that probably a third of the articles that popped up on the front page were about applying the hierarchy of controls to COVID. 
Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the, a lot of people are thinking that way. Um, you know, one, one of the things that, um, that um, I've thought of over the years, uh, first of all, you talk about being controversial and get, getting slammed. This is probably one that will get me that way since, since you jumped in. With <laughs> well, let's people. do it. Let's, let's give it some, give, give you some uh, turbo charge. Okay. Here's, here's my thought. Root cause analysis is all about the top of the pyramid. Mm. Once you get down to human beings, human, being, human behavior doesn't have a root cause. I'm sorry, it doesn't. It has influences, and almost seldom, almost almost never is it just one. It's almost it's almost in, entirely more than one. Mm-hmm. I uh, I worked with Dean Gano at NASA back a number of years ago, and Dean Gano wrote a book called the the Apollo Root Cause Method. And one of the controversial things that he said uh, that that got him in in a lot of hot water with people was that no accident has. Are almost no accidents have a root cause that almost always you can follow two chains mm-hmm. from this accident, you know, going down and one is behavioral and one's conditional, <laughs> which really got to, and that's my part that probably influenced my uh, thinking about the, the hierarchy of controls. It's partly mm-hmm. conditional and partly behavioral, mm-hmm. you know, so uh, what, what are they? The, the other thing was he just slammed things like uh, taproot and some of these other methodologies by saying, no, five down's not any magic number. You know, some root causes are going to be 25 down and some of them are going to be one down, down the chain like that. And he said, most of the time, the people that are trying to find root cause never find it. They just run out of data. Mm-hmm. You know, so they get down to the bottom of the chain and they said, that's the bottom of the chain. He says, no, it's not. You just couldn't answer the next why question. <laughs> you didn't have enough information to get to that next level down <laughs> over there. So anyway, he was a, he was a fascinating guy to me to, to yeah. work on. If, if you've ever seen, if you've, any of you have ever seen the movie Apollo 13, there was a, a place in the movie where they walked into a room where two guys were standing there in front of a kind of a whiteboard situation and they threw a bunch of junk down on a table, hoses and clamps and, and things like that. And they said, here's what they've got to work with. Uh, if, if you don't know that, that's called the Gano room. <laughs> okay. Right, okay. At, at one time, I don't know if it's still true. I haven't worked with NASA well, for a few yeah. years, but at one time, if a spacecraft was up and had a problem, it was all Dean Gano's methodology used to try to solve that problem. And there were two people in this room trained in that methodology and, uh, you know, tried to figure out uh, exactly what their, their best course of action was. But th- that's kind of an interesting, interesting thing to me. You know, does human behavior have a root cause? And almost everybody's accident investigations assumes that it does. You know, what, what's the root cause or, or else maybe just a corrective action? And well, I think that's probably more accurate. Let's let's go into that a bit more. Asif has made a comment. He's agreeing with us, and he says specifically someone. I don't know if you can see that uh, across yeah, the top. Yeah, I see. Uh-huh. Specifically, someone wearing eyeglasses suffers a lot with mask. Yeah, that's Asif. You're absolutely right. You know, because we've in the UK. I don't know if it's the same in the US. We've in the UK seen people now saying, "Well, I get over this foggy glass issue by wearing two masks." Right. Mm. Okay, and someone says, well, why don't you just get glasses that are more engineeringly fit for purpose? You know, you can get these anti-fogging glasses and so on. So we're, we're going up and down this hierarchy of controls. You know, we get to a point, we're not going to eliminate it, okay, because COVID is going to be around for, oh, I hope, not too long, but you know it's going to be around. So then we get down to engineering controls, and we're bobbling between engineering controls, administrative, and PPE. Where would you like to be on that triangle? 
<laughs> exactly. But as if well, one of the things that I think you're pointing out is is one of my favorite uh, my favorite uh, uh, observations that uh, W. Edwards Deming made uh -huh. back a number of years ago. He said one of the number one causes of problems is solutions. Mm -hmm. You know, and and so often we we look at a problem and we look at it rather superficially and we solve that problem and create five more. You know that we we really didn't intend to. And I, I think this is a perfect example. Yes, let's wear a mask. Now, what happens to your glasses when you wear a mask and all your breath comes up out of the top of the mask? So they started putting over here, they started putting this little piece of wire in the top of your mask to make it fit, you know, more a little more conformed over your nose. Uh, there's all kinds of things that they've, they've done for that. But uh, yeah, uh, very often when we solve a problem, we create another one and we, you can chase that chain forever. Uh, unless you come up with really elegant solutions at the top. Let, 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 let's, um, let's throw a real curveball of a question here. So let's have a, a, a keep or ditch, okay? Hierarchy of controls. I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer, really, in, in, in some ways. We have to keep it. You know, um, do we ditch bits of it? Uh, I mean, I know where I'd like to be. I'd like to be further up on the triangle, um, the inverted triangle towards elimination and substitution. I think it's with us for good, right? It's really oh, I, I think so. It, you know, it, it's being used very where it's being used to me the most effectively is in design. Mm. You know, if, when you when you build a brand new facility, you've got no none of these uh, legacy problems mm. out there. You know, and you start looking at at what this is all about. If you do a good job of hazard and potential hazard identification, and then you use this kind of thinking, you can build an incredibly safe facility. Now, the problem is, uh, how many of you out there have a safe facility, a brand new, well-designed, safe facility? Uh, you know, most of you have something that's 40 years old and has been revamped uh, 80 times and, you know, has all kinds of workovers and everything else out there. And you're, you're still identifying some of these. Uh, well, you, you've actually, you've done something quite interesting here, because when you think about something, you think about sweet spots, yeah? Where where do you want to be? Where is the best spot? And when you mentioned engineering controls, there it made me it made me go back a little bit into my oil and gas days with BP and a few other oil and gas companies, and they have a, a, a sort of a, an approach is called inherently safer design. Mm -hmm. So they they actually say, well, we don't want to get into the situation of retrofitting or uh, eliminating hazards or potential risks after the design stage. Let's get it all sorted in the design phase, right up front. You know, conceptual, right. etc. And and uh, if we if we were to impart our knowledge and our experience in terms of certainly from my perspective, if you had to pick a playground to be in when you're applying hierarchy of controls, you probably passed the elimination stage because you've done all your checks through HAZOPs and various other things. But a golden ticket, a golden opportunity will be to go right back to the design stage and engineer out as much of the issues as you can. Does that chime with you as well? Well, certainly. Uh, you know, it, it's, an, it's an elegant solution. But, you know, one of the analogies that I use very often in trying to explain this is I ask people, do you know of any place on this planet that's so safe that no matter what you do there, you can't possibly get injured? And probably the best answer to that question is a padded cell in a mental institution. <laughs> and, you know, even that 
requires a piece of PPE to supplement it. <laughs> they put you in a straitjacket and then they put you in the padded cell because people who are determined to hurt themselves can do so even in a padded cell. And, yeah. you know, when you consider that, you know, maybe it's impossible to make something 100% safe. And that's why I, I, I say you're probably going to wind up using at least two of those uh, controls in that hierarchy if you're really going to be effective in, in what you're doing. And I mean, I've, I've got examples and examples of that, you know, that have happened out there in the world where people thought they had made the perfect facility and, and everything that, you know, interesting at, at the two levels out there, something that I worked, this is a number of years ago now, probably 10 or 12 years ago, I was working with a, a company, their forest products company, and they had what's called a particle board plant. Uh, they actually take sawdust and glue it together and make what they call particle board. And, um, yeah. This this one plant manager was brilliant engineer, really really sharp guy, and uh, people savvy too, which isn't the forte of all engineers, <laughs> as you know. But, oh, but, oh, come on, I, I paid my price to make fun of us, okay? Uh, the uh, so he he had a he had a, a couple of goals in mind. You know, he had, he had managed a number of of these similar plants for his company. Most of them, you know, 50, 60 years old. And everything. He had all these problems with it. And he had this idealistic uh, view that he was going to build this brand new plant. They were going to engineer it incredibly safe. And then he was going to go to this thing, which was really popular 10 or 15 years ago, called self directed work teams. So he wasn't going to have people needing to be supervised and overseen and and regulated and controlled and micromanaged and everything else they were going to they were going to do this so they built this uh, they built this plant in arkansas which if you're familiar with the us is out in the forest you know for yeah. one thing yeah. But not a not a heavily populated or metropolitan state or anything like that. So anyway, they go out there and they put the latest, greatest, newest, most wonderful equipment in this plant. He has a lot of say in the engineering of it, although a lot of the equipment's new. You know, it's not the kind he used before. And then he hires these people out there. And the first first little slap in the face he got was that nobody that he hired had ever been on a self-directed work team. <laughs> they didn't know what one was. They didn't know how one worked. They had always been, you know, hang your brain at the door and do as you're told kind of workers over there. And anyway, he put this whole thing together. He had it, he had it just lined up to, to be perfect and the machinery wouldn't work. It was brand new machinery. It had just come over from Germany and had some had some bugs in it and everything else. So he worked on it and they called other engineers in and worked on it. And finally, like a lot of companies, they brought the old hands in that could fix anything with duct tape and bailing wire. You know, and they finally made the the equipment work. They finally got the plant operational. And while they were doing that, they beat all the self-directedness out of the employees because they were those old style managers. They, you know, shut up and do as I told you, you know, kind of people. And uh, so he had to start all over again with his self-directed ideas after he got his plant, you know, but that, but the, working. Yeah, I was going to say, but that's not uncommon. You know, a lot of, a lot of oh, the no. time, um, certainly maybe not so much now because you have all these um factory acceptance tests and everything else that goes on but certainly when i left university back in 1987 okay uh, and i set out in industry there was there was occasions when the projects department would produce this new something you know and then they'd bring it out they'd wheel it out and then usually we're tinkering around afterwards trying to 
iron out issues if it's to do with safety or it's to do with productivity or something you know and um it, it's it's just it's just in i think i think we're a little lot better now but certainly uh we've got to eliminate all of those things now terry i see oh malcolm welcome thank you very much cover the glasses with washing up liquid prevents fogging mm -hmm. That's a good one, Malcolm. I don't know if people want to try that one, but um, that's a good one to share. Thank you. Um, there are ways to make glasses uh, more fog resistant. You know, mm. the, a number of products out there on the market and even some kind of uh, if, if you if you don't need glasses like I do to see if you're just do, using them to protect your eyes. There's some of the PPE kind of glasses that are automatically made fog resistant. Yeah. You know, yeah. Which helps, but. I, th I think. Um, the segment's called Let's Learn. Okay, so let's let's dive into the 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 recesses of our of our mind and say, well, between you and me, let's let's sort of share thoughts as to where we've sort of failed or where we think we could have done better or where we really did well in terms of hierarchy of controls. Let let me start that off by saying my experience of hierarchy of controls where it's been really difficult to implement or to get conversations going are where people have different opinions you know you would you would you would certainly go from elimination substitution down to engineering controls etc and then there's that point where there's arguments ahoy you know people would constantly debate and discuss and so on i think that's what i i call paralysis by analysis and you you would tend to really try and get to a point where you think it's perfect I came to the conclusion that it's never going to be 100% perfect. You want to always try and be higher up on the inverted triangle rather than lower down. If you're in doubt and you're not sure, look at, look at it in terms of consequences and likelihood. There might be some minutiae of differences where a slightly lower down control might actually do better. Not always, might do. So you have to, when you get to that point where you, uh, when you're fine tuning, look at consequences and likelihood, that for me eliminates quite a lot of the discussions and debates. Again, not always, and I put that caveat in there, not always, but most of the time. Maybe it's the same as yours, Terry. Have you got any that you, you think about? Well, when you, one of the advantages to me of starting at the top of the, of the hierarchy of controls is that sometimes you ask this dumb question that you would totally uh, ignore, you know, uh, risks become invisible. Anything in the workplace, once you've worked at it for years and years, it becomes invisible. It's yes, like wallpaper, I guess, doesn't it? Just it is, yeah. It, yeah, it's yeah. just the way it is, you know, and we found uh, uh, a lot of people call it new eyes or things like that. At Coca-Cola during my corporate career, we called it dumb questions, you know, and what would happen is you'd walk into an area where you hadn't done the work and you'd look at something, you'd say, why do you do it that way? Or why is this over here? Or why don't you locate those closer to where you need them or something like that? Well, that's a dumb question to a person who works in there because the obvious answer is, well, we've always done it that way. It's yeah. a heritage practice. And a, a lot of times by starting at the, at the top of this pyramid, you, you, you back up and you ask yourself, well, is that necessary? You know, do, do we really have to have that? Uh, is, and almost everything that 
that's out there is out there for a reason. The problem is the reason goes away and the thing doesn't. <laughs> you know, the, the whole reason why we, we designed it that way was something that we've changed 20 years ago, you know, but it, it's still sitting there cranking the way it always had. And I, I think that's one of the values of doing that. You reminded me of one of my favorite sayings back when uh, one of the other things you said, uh, uh, I think Deming said this the first time I ever heard it too. He said, in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one, yeah. In practice, there is. <laughs> you know, so uh, <laughs> you were talking about trying things out. I think this is one of the weaknesses of the hierarchy. People, as you said, they just assume, oh, well, we fixed the problem. Well, did you? You know, do you have any kind of reliability testing after you put your your control in place? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when you, you and me, as we've gone through our life, we've picked up all these expressions and sayings and uh i've, I've come to the point yeah uh, yeah and i've come to a point where they've actually played quite a pivotal role in in a lot of things i do i think one of my favorites uh, uh going off off piece here but one of my favorites is uh safety risk and safety is management is not rocket science rocket science is easier <laughs> <laughs> that's true so that... I, I think um so in terms of hierarchy of controls i guess some of the key takeaways are that, and help me with this one, is it's here to stay. Better to be up the triangle in terms of elimination, substitution, working your way down rather than at the bottom, because as you get further towards the bottom, there is a greater potential for that risk to be happening, the likelihood and consequences. More variation and more variables. Yes, yeah. harder, harder to control. Sure, because you're into human errors, human behaviors, confirmation bias, all sorts of things. In terms of sweet spots, if you had to pick a fight and you had to pick a battleground that works really well, try and do it in the engineering um, uh, sort of a block. And if you can get rid of all those issues before you uh, roll it out into the field uh, at the design stage, do that. Have I missed anything? I'm sure there's loads more. No, I, I, but uh, again, I, I think uh, so many people look at the hierarchy of controls and think either or. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think that's the I, I think that's very seldom the answer. You know, the old multiple choice test that you took in school, you know, very often the answer is D, all of the above. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you should be doing something in all of this. You know, uh, some of the uh, uh, represented labor forces in the U U.S., uh, really rebelled against things like behavior-based safety. Mm -hmm. And their argument was the hierarchy of control. Well, why are you coming down and making us solve these problems when you should be solving them at this higher level out there? And that's a legitimate, that's a legitimate uh, observation. However, what what really what the reality of what happens in most industries is you start working from the top down. And when you get to the bottom, there's there's something left. <laughs> there's something else that you that you really ought to take care of that hasn't been taken care of in the in those higher things. And what do you do? Do you ignore it or do you, uh, you know, make an, a new program down here at the bottom to sweep it up? Mm. And, you know, a lot of the variations in trying to control behavior, I, I think, range all the way from duplicating your administrative controls to uh, to identifying the gap between where your administrative controls leave off and zero accidents and addressing that you know and that's to me the much more elegant solution down yeah. there so what, a lot of sure. what I, i'm sorry a, a lot of what i've done in my career is that 
bottom thing down there, the administrative controls, you know, uh, because I, I, I think most organizations are better at the top of the pyramid than they are at the bottom of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, mo most people, uh, most managers of technical facilities are technically trained people mm -hmm. and technically trained people know a lot more about machines and circuits than they do about human beings and, and are better at controlling those things. Mm -hmm. So we've had to help them more with that bottom of the pyramid, I think, than we have with the top of the pyramid. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I, I, I think you're right. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I mean, the uh, the bottom of the period pyramid is where you've got all the human dynamics going on and people's opinions and views and confirmation bias and all the other biases you think on. Sometimes a bit of an uncomfortable place to be in because um, it can be argumentative, demonstrative, but um, it's unavoidable. And I think if you if you have to pick something on there as a control measure, just be also aware that there are more greater vulnerabilities with those because you're depending on humans. So um, I see we've got a comment back from Asif. Thank you, Asif, on Dr. Malcolm's suggestions about the washing up liquid. He says, Dr. Malcolm, the liquid may lead to chemical hazards as well as irritation, skin allergy, or dermatitis. I can concur with that. So again, uh, whoever's going to be putting washing up liquid on their, on their glasses, be mindful that you may not always work for you. And um, that's again, in terms of risk management, making sure that you don't have any allergy issues. Um, Terry, so, believe it or not. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to give you and I a challenge at this point that for the rest of this, we solve more problems than fogging glasses. <laughs> <laughs> we, get some, uh, we get some information out there that'll help people with other problems besides just that too. Yeah. But uh, no, it's... Um, I, th I think if, if you think about it, that's a good point, um, Terry. I think you, you can see where um, a lot of the times people have more discussions. You see, they say engineering is, you know, mathematics, the queen of science. It's very, it's very black and white, okay? So there's no shades of gray. And the further down you go on the hierarchy of controls, the more shades of gray. So you will have people bringing out everything from the bookshelves, from the kitchen cupboards to talk about in terms of risk and safety management. I mean, I threw in COVID there, please forgive me, but you know, that's a classic example. The other things are people saying, well, uh, when it's snow and ice or there's no end because wherever there's a lot of human behavior involved, you can be rest assured that's a massive playground of um, uh, conversations and discussions. Um, well I've, I've got I've got hundreds of stories that I wish I could tell everybody all the time and that said and listen patiently to, but of of situations where organizations have eliminated hazards and people still get hurt. You know, if if you got holes in the if you've got holes in the concrete and you fill those holes, people trip on level ground. You know, it, it's uh, if, you, if you eliminate the corners that stick out, they run into the, the corner that doesn't stick out. You know, it's uh, it, it's one of those things you have to address the top and the bottom of the pyramid, I think, in everything, because yeah. all accidents have situational and behavioral elements to them. And if you're not if you're not attacking the accidents from both fronts. You're missing opportunities to be effective. You know, I, I have a lot of uh, a lot of uh, uh technically trained, mainly engineers who say, well, gosh, Terry, I, I'm, you know, I, I know how to work with this equipment. I don't know how all that touchy feely human culture, <laughs> culture stuff and, and things like that. You know, that that's not what I want to work with. And I say, OK, here's your challenge. Be perfect. At the, be so perfect at the engineering 
that you never have to get down the triangle to those human things. <laughs> if you can eliminate all your accidents before you ever get down to those administrative controls, you know, you've used your strengths to, to great wow. advantage like that. But if you get down there and you still have those, you're going to have to address those. Yeah. You know, I see a good comment here from uh, Yasser Ali Abassi. Uh, good, good afternoon, I suspect, wherever you are, uh, Yasser. Some administrative controls are the tools to implement adequately top control risk hierarchy triangle. Well, I can't deny that. I think it's a good point. Well, certainly. I mean, be certain behaviors can overcome certain conditional risks. Mm. You know, you got a hole in the floor. Well, great. Uh, is someone going to blindly walk into it and stick, you know, step in it? Or are they going to look where they're going and, and avoid it? Yeah. You know, so uh, a lot of times it's there. Now, again, you know, that shouldn't be a justification for leaving the hole in the floor. <laughs> and and I, I think that's where a lot of people come off on, on, on thinking that way is that, yeah. uh, well, if you can solve it all, uh, with human behavior, oh, let's just do that. That's a more elegant solution than having to fix everything. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, and a lot of a lot of managers like that too, because they can abdicate their responsibility and just blame everything on the workers. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking I'm thinking aloud now. So we've spent quite a bit of time talking about COVID, quite a bit of time talking about other things. In terms of um, hierarchy of controls, and you look at it from an engineering perspective there's no end to the topics that you and I can talk about. For example, we've talked about residual risk, okay? So even after you've applied the hierarchy of controls, there is a residual risk aspect to it. Do you accept it or not accept it? Then there's things like change, management of change, another big hot topic, big issue, which I think, I think Terry, we should put that to the cards as well and we should discuss that. Uh, certainly, uh, yeah, Trevor Kletz has, oh, he's been a, a big, powerful advocate on how to, uh, how change or poorly managed change has led to some of the world's uh, greatest catastrophes and disasters. Um, believe yeah. it or not, I was going to say, believe it or not, we've chalked up 42 minutes, Terry. I know. And uh, we, we need 42 minutes left here. <laughs> You know, back to my point and your point, putting them together here, management of change has both behavioral and conditional uh, elements to it also. Uh, in, in your field, I, I helped a, an international oil company just a couple of years ago who was all offshore and they were moving onshore for the first time and, and bought some onshore uh, properties and were going to manage them and they hired me to come in and help them because they weren't having the same luck with their onshore that they had with their offshore, but trying to apply the same principles there. Uh, so one of the things that I found was that the properties they bought were made to be sold. And, and you've probably said being in the petroleum industry, you know, you build some, you build some, uh, especially uh, upstream, you know, you build some of those properties to operate and you mm -hmm. build some of them to sell. <laughs> and the ones you build to operate are really nicely designed and, and everything. And every, every time you make a change in those, you make sure this change is standardized with all the other equipment. So, you know, if the, if the go is on this side and the stop is on this side, you make sure it's that way on every piece of equipment that you do out there. If you're just building it uh, to sell, you buy the cheapest go and stop control you can get and throw it under the thing, you know, and then hope for the buyer gets there before it breaks. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm's come back with a comment. Um, Mal, um, I'll have to get you on the show one day, play that uh, banjo yeah. that you normally play. It says residual risk is subjective and depends on the RA in initiator. Yes, I, I don't disagree with that, Mal. Uh, in fact, any form of risk analysis I found, uh, if, if I'm a participant in it, 
I'm always uh, not, well, I always 100% agree with the person who's chairing or facilitating. And likewise, when I'm chairing or facilitating, everybody agrees with me. I think there is there is a point when you can come to a sort of a, a mutual parking point and you say, well, it is what it is. It is subjective. And that's why a lot of companies, certainly in the oil and gas sector, like BP and so on, have got um, uh, rules, uh, rules of uh, engagement and rules in terms of acceptance of those risks. Um, Residual risk analysis is a big subject, and I think I think we should cover this in the future. As to at what point do you so say too. that? You know, what point do you say that risk is acceptable? I well, know. One, one point I'd make, Doctor Roberts, is there's another way of thinking about that. You know, residual risk is subjective if you're projecting it. If you're mm. sitting here saying, "I think someone could get hurt with this, so we ought to fix it." Now, if you've had ten accidents on that in the last month it's no longer subjective that no. uh, that experiential thing brings it out of subjectivity and says we've got a problem yeah. you know and I, I think sometimes that's more the 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 divider between subjective and objective is what happened <laughs> you know that's one of the reasons we're so reactive in safety isn't it because we don't trust our subjective data we don't trust our upstream what if uh, opinion kind of data and everything like that but we trust those accidents yeah. you know once somebody gets hurt out there we had a sick joke at Coca-Cola that uh, we'd, we'd identify something out there that was dangerous in the workplace and someone would say who wants to volunteer to get hurt on it so we can get it fixed you know, because literally uh, a lot of times until somebody got injured there, we weren't going to fix it. That There was all fluffy subjective data, hey, you, you know. You, yeah, you've got an official introduction to Mal here. He says, Mal, please, Terry. <laughs> okay, Mal. I'm sorry, Mal. <laughs> Dr. Roberts is too, too, yeah, uh, too he's formal. Worked hard, okay, yeah, he's worked hard for that PhD, but he still prefers Mal, you know. And yeah. you should, he's a mean banjo player. I think he's a banjo, you know, ukulele. You should uh, you should hear oh. him uh, listen, uh, play that. Um, when you bring um, it, I'll bring my guitar and we'll see if we can tune together. Oh, God, no, no, no. I, I, I'll just play the fiddle. <laughs> no. um, so, Terry, um, we've got no end of a pot of discussions and um all i'm going to say is we're going to do this tuesdays as many tuesdays as we can for as long as we can and as for as long as you guys are on uh mal yasa all you guys you know give us the feedback and whatever support you can in terms of making the show really focused on yeah. learning and let's learn in this short well i say short three quarters of an hour segment I've already learned um, quite a few things about fogging and various other things, uh, views on uh, surfactants. And uh, there you go, Mal's made a comment. Doctor is too formal in these forums. Yes, absolutely, you're right, gotcha. Mal. <laughs> um, People call me Mr. Mathis, and I tell everyone that's my father. You know, I'm Terry, okay? Just, just call me Terry. Uh, I understand exactly where you're coming from, Mal. <laughs> well, um, we need to we need to sort of think about a topic for next week. And we before the session, Terry and I were having a discussion, and we 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 sort of uh, sort of came across the title of "Stumbling Blocks to Good Safety Leadership." Terry, good subject. I th I think so. I, I just wrote an article about this. I, I think it's out right now. If it's not, it's coming out uh, the first of the month here, in a magazine in the U.S. called EHS Today. Uh, and I, I titled it more negatively, and uh, Sonny and I were talking about that, that we wanted to state it as the what to do rather than what not to do yeah. kind of things. But I, I think I titled it something like uh, how safety leaders uh, undermine their own 
their own safety projects, their own safety uh, initiatives and everything. And, and that was kind of from a, a bag of my experience that I just had with two or three clients that I went out there and I, I thought very well-intentioned leaders were making a huge mess of their, of their own safety program, uh, totally uh, un, un, uh, unknowing exactly what, what they were doing out there in the field. So I, I thought maybe that knowledge could help other safety leaders to yeah. avoid some of those things. I think it's a great topic, actually, uh, Terry. And um, uh, in fact, Mal's, Mal's hit back with a comment. Great subject. Uh, thanks, Mal. Let me just flick back to a comment Asif's made. He said, what's your thoughts about last minute risk assessment? OK, I'll share my thoughts and Terry will share his thoughts. My thoughts are that I don't mind last minute risk assessments. It really depends on the team makeup and it really depends on whether it's it's uh, last minute because you've forgotten something or you're under production pressure or financial pressures. Be cautious because that's where the human error part can play a bigger role, confirmation biases. And I'm not, I'm sure you're familiar with dynamic risk assessments, job safety analysis. A lot of these things can be done last minute, but always be a bit mindful that there is a pressure in terms of delivery. And, and Terry, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I've seen last minute risk assessments done elegantly, really effectively and everything. And I've seen them where they were just, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a busy work that you had to do before you before you started. And I think a, a lot of that has to do with how structured they are. You know, one of the one of the things it's like a perception survey. One of the things you have to realize is that people don't know what they don't know. So when you ask them in a perception survey, uh, uh, you, you make a statement you want them to agree or disagree with, like, I'm I'm sufficiently trained to know what my risks are and handle them in my job like that. They don't know that. <laughs> you know, what are they comparing that to? I mean, there may be a, a, a factory next door that does a 50 times better job of it than they do, but they've never compared and contrasted. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, Mal, I, I think when it's part of the JSA or a last thing or a, or a reality check on the JSA, you know, did we go over everything? Uh, I, when, when it has points that you're looking for, I think it's better than just what are the dangers here? You know, yeah. uh, hey, Terry, we've just had another one to the pot now about JSAs and last minute risk assessments, LMRAs and powers and everything else. Um, I, I guess I've been a little bit shielded in the sense that in the oil and gas industry and certainly in the chemical industry and so on, we generally don't tend to have last minute risk assessments. They're always scheduled in such a way. If there is something, it's because it could be during a turnaround, for example, or during a shutdown and we have things like pre-startup safety reviews, PSSRs. So maybe I'm not as um, uh, exposed to last minute risk assessments, but I, I would think they do happen. But my experience will be to say, take care, because it is certainly something that can be more human error issues. Um, I, I see it more in uh, um, construction industry. Yeah. I've, I've, I work with a lot of pipeline construction companies, and they all do it. You know, it, it's kind of a, a ritual in the pipeline construction companies. Cairo, mm -hmm. uh, uh, what I practice with LMRA is provide one small card containing all important checklists which need to be checked. It's almost like a job safety analysis type thing. I like yeah, they're good. Uh, in fact, George is saying thanks a lot both for the discussion. Looking forward to next week. So am I, especially with the conversation which is all about safety leadership. I think that's going to be. Um, well, let's say it's going to be interesting. Um, yes, uh, good evening from the US, USC. I think is that UAE. If the supervisor. If the supervisor are good in safety leadership, then dynamic risk assessments are great. Yeah, I do agree with you. I think the team composition plays a huge role. 
there have been risk assessments that I've been in which have been absolute disasters because the team was just plucked randomly because they had to do the risk assessment. Mal says, let's cover that in another session. Which one, Mal? Just come back and let us know. Uh, it's prevalent in renewables. Yes, I don't disagree with you, Mal. Sorry, Terry, I'm picking up a lot of questions. It do yeah, jump no, I'm, in I'm and dive in. Uh, now, one, one thing I'd like to say, Sunny, to everybody, because I, I get the feeling a bunch of them are about to jump off. You know, it, when you see our topic, if you could pre-send us some specific examples from your industry mm. or specific issues and everything like that, I think that would help Sunny and I to, to uh, narrow in because I mean, God, I've, I've done over 2,000 projects, you know, over the, the last little while. So, you know, you want to talk about construction, you want to talk about upstream, downstream, midstream, you want to, you know, anything like that. The more you can zero us in on, uh, you know, your specific uh, issues that you'd like us to talk about, probably the better we can target this. Absolutely. I mean, the, the I'm just going to flash it up right now uh, in terms of the fact that send us an email live at redrisks.com. Uh, Terry and I will pick that email up and we will certainly add it to the pile. I always do one thing, and that is well before the live events. So, for example, next Tuesday's event, as I mentioned, about stumbling blocks to good safety leadership. On the Monday, I will cascade out through the social medias what it is. And you will know after a period of time, this is only the third show, I think, we will stick to continuity because continuity is really important in this live event to make sure that we stick to a day and a time so that you can be tuned into that. Um, uh, Terry, anything uh, I've forgotten along the way? Probably so, but I've, I've forgotten it too. So uh, uh, we're, we're both in the same boat here together. I, well, I hope I hope the interaction, uh, we, we felt like not just that Sonny and I are friends or that we're buddies or anything like that, but that our, our uh, experiences and our approaches are synergistic, that, that we, we uh, complement what each other can say. We complete what each other can say. We take it off in different directions and expand it. And I, I think that's one of the potential um, great, great things that we can do in a show like this. And again, we've, I've started a lot of things like this, and they, they generally grow from outside input. And that's the reason I'd, I'd like to, to suggest, you know, help us, help us. Uh, uh, Sonny and I are sitting here brainstorming topics. Uh, you know, I, I used to brainstorm topics and then all of a sudden 50 of them came in <laughs> on the internet and I did, I just said, okay, uh, you know, uh, we don't have to brainstorm anymore. Let's just, let's just start prioritizing these. And we'd love to have that. We'd love to make this real to you out there and and something that maybe our we can give you an insight well one of my one of my old uh, adages is that all progress begins with thinking differently if you think the way you've always thought you'll do what you've always done and get all the results you've always gotten but if we can if we can give you a new idea a new approach i think that's valuable in fact um uh, george uh, thanks george for joining us it would be great to clarify the difference between management in safety and leadership Good, good topic. Excellent point. Uh, you're, you're right on. You're right on subject. <laughs> yeah, good topic. Mal, Mal says, "I'll." Oh, you're on YouTube now. You jump from LinkedIn to YouTube. So I'll try and get here as often as possible. Mal, come on, you can do better than that. Uh, LMRA is situational awareness. Okay, thank you, Midney. So many of you with some great comments on here, and I do do please um, emphasize. And Terry will uh reinforces it's important that you send us a email let us know uh 
well in advance if you can. If not, don't worry, we will pick it up. We can, we're reasonably quick thinking on our yeah. feet, but send us an email live at redrisks.com. All about let's learn. Let's bring up that situational awareness again, too, because I, th I think that's an interesting, uh, an interesting yeah. little nuance uh, to, to what we're doing. Yeah. Um, Terry, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Um, oh, wait a minute. What happened there? Can you hear me OK? Sure. I thoroughly enjoyed this. I think going forward, um, we've got a lot to talk about, and a lot to cover. Um, next session's next Tuesday, but earlier time. It's going to be. 3 p.m. Today it was 4 p.m. UK time, purely because we had some scheduling issues. But we're going to fix to a standard time, Terry, 3 p.m. every Tuesday, uh, unless otherwise uh, advertised. <laughs> Absolutely. And I promise not to make doctor's appointments five weeks in the head before, oh, we, uh, before we do it this time. Scared Mal, me today. <laughs> Mal, I disagree with you, mate. Multitasking. Ask my wife. She says, <laughs> Men can't multitask. <laughs> um, Terry, thank you so much for your time. And that, um, that's a good that's a good topic, though, uh, Mal, uh, because I think that that is something that gets into a lot of safety uh, that that I've worked with over the years. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Just before I um, close out, there's a couple of things I do want to do. If you can, if you can stay with me, please, um, Terry. I'm just gonna sure. just gonna share a screen here. Okay, so I want to cover a couple of things. On uh, Thursday is our next live session, and we are going to be having a guest speaker, Professor Dr. Andrew Sharman, who's going to talk about 1% safer. Now, you may have mentioned this, may have heard me mention it in a previous show. This one's good because we've got our collection of colleagues from across the world, Dang from Vietnam, all the way through to Jorge in Mexico, covering the board. So uh, it's going to be an interesting session. Join us if you can. That is on the 1st of October, which is this Thursday, 3 p.m. London time, always on a Thursday at that time, uh, 7.30 Indian Standard Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And one final thing, because this, this SG Live, and I'm going to get Terry involved in a lot more of these, provided you can spare me the time. Uh, the three pillars are connect, share, and learn. So Terry and I will share the learn sessions on Tuesdays. Thursdays, we will share with our colleagues across the world and with you during these discussions. And on Fridays, it's just a little bit of a me time, me and you, where you can ask me stuff or you can tell us stuff. So it's all about connecting and keeping us all sort of going during these challenging times. Um, Terry, um, just going to take this off the screen, uh, come back to you mm, if I can. Just bear with me. Back. So lots of shows, lots of things to do. Some final questions coming in. Uh, one from Midney, please. How to check the effectiveness of a BBS program? Oh, Midney, you asked the toughest of questions. <laughs> that is a separate session altogether, my friend. Um, I've, I've only uh, presented that at ASSP about 40 times now. So I'd be glad <laughs> to share some ideas. Uh, be glad let's to share add, ideas. Add, yeah, let's add that to the bucket. Uh, workers workers rehabilitation program would also be a good topic. Oh, that, not sure if I'm qualified to talk about that. We may have to bring someone in, Terry, if you know someone who could talk about that. Absolutely. I, and, and 
it's it's interesting because some of the some of the programs that started out as rehab programs turned into proactive programs. You know, they they, they realized that it, instead of waiting until the worker got injured, keep the worker from getting injured. Yeah. You know, and they took a lot of the learnings from one and and applied it to the other. So yeah, I know yeah. several people in that field. Chiral, sorry, it's twelve o'clock midnight yeah. for you. We, we 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 try and do our best to find the sweet spot in terms of timings. Um, Next one will be a bit different. We'll bring it forward by from four till three, three o'clock. Um, hope that helps a little bit. If anyone misses any of these shows, by the way, they are uploaded onto the YouTube channel. So please um, check it out. Um, question here from Gareth. We're just going to tidy up with a few more questions. What is the best reference for oil and gas competency management? Wow. Ooh. The best, huh? That's a, that, I'm going to have to say we'll cover that in a separate topic. All these comments that we get here, we'll run it off screen separately and collect them. BBS question, that's for Dom. BBSQ, that's for Dom. Well, we can get Dominic Cooper online as well. All of us, <laughs> we'll have a good chat. Dom gets very excited, though. He, uh, I'm sure he'll find time to uh, spare uh, some of his time with us. Prevention is better than cure, Terry. Very good. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, Folks, good topic. Absolutely. Lots and lots of comments coming in. I'm I'm sorry to say we're going to have to love you and leave you for now. We've hit one hour, but I'm really, really excited by the folks who've taken part. Sorry it's late in the evenings for some of you. Terry, last few comments. Any any thoughts? Uh, thank you for all, all of your input on this. Uh, again, uh, we need topics. Um, one of the one of the ladies that uh, manages the American Society of Safety Professionals uh, said, gee, Terry, we, we like you because you can speak on any topic. And I joked back with her that I don't even need a topic. But that's not really true. I really do need a topic, you know. And, and the more you, you focus me on something and say, let's talk about this particular thing, the more I think I can bring my experience and expertise to bear and maybe help you uh, look at some different possibilities of how you can handle those problems. Well said, Terry. Thank you so much. Folks online, thank you so much. Join us on Thursday with Andrew Sharman and a group of people from around the world where I'm sure we can make it quite exciting. Other than that, I wish you a very pleasant day, evening, sleep, whatever, and catch up with you soon. We're going to run the VT for the outro. Terry, catch you soon. Thanks, Sonny. Take care.